0: My name is Alex Culpepper. I am a ministry director on staff here at Village Church. I have the opportunity to uh, organize a worship service, weekly worship service on Sunday mornings down at the Victory Center, which is just down uh, West Bartlett Road here. So, uh, and sorry, the Victory Center is uh, a, a nursing home, an assisted living facility, so it's our, our joy to minister to the elderly there. We have a special treat for you this morning. So if you don't know, Village Church has something cool called the Q&A Podcast. Uh, and what the Q&A Podcast is, is we bring uh, the pastors onto the show. It's a radio show, basically, and we ask them tough questions. And they seek to answer those questions with biblical wisdom in the best way that they know how. And so we're taking that Q&A experience and we're bringing it up here live this morning. So we've been going through the the book of Song of Solomon and looking at what God's word has to say about love, sex, dating, romance, attraction, affection, all of these things that involve relationships. And naturally, with those subjects, they're going to be very culturally sensitive issues. And so we're going to have a lot of questions about them. And so you all have already been submitting questions, but you're going to have an opportunity also to submit questions live as we're up here. If you have uh, a smartphone, we have the Village Church app, and at the very bottom in the app, there's a place that says, Ask a Song of Solomon Q&A question. And so as we're up here this morning with the pastors, uh, you can send us questions up here and we'll uh we'll seek to answer them to the best of their ability. Now here's the reality. Uh, we're not going to have time to answer all of your questions. And so throughout the next week, we'll be addressing all of the questions that have come in in the Q&A podcast. So the next five days of the Q&A podcast, which you can find uh, on your iPhones in the Apple Podcast app, or you can find them on the Village Church website, uh, you'll be able to hear all the questions that have come in for this Q&A. So uh, I'd like to ask the pastors to come up on stage now. So I, I'm a grad student, and uh, one of the uh, the hard things about being grad student, one of the really frustrating things, is like when you have a test and you don't know how to prepare for that test. And these guys have a test this morning that they pretty much had no idea how to prepare for. Um, so I'm pretty excited to get the opportunity to stump them, maybe ask them some questions that they, they can't make their way around. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens here. We're
1: just going to pump the questions back to you. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. that's the, yeah, just that's kick the best it way back to do it, at I guess. Tell <laughs> us, what does this mean in the Hebrew language? Yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah. Uh, so... So the, going
0: into the first round, uh, we're really going to be focusing on the subject of dating and pre-marriage. Um, and looking at that, I want to start with Pastor Craig. Pastor Craig, the first question is just very general. When is it okay for Christians to start dating?
2: Uh, when is it okay for Christians to start dating? Um, it depends. It depends. Um, I would say that uh, if you are... What do good- you mean by dating? Yeah, exactly, what do you mm-hmm. mean by dating? Uh, if you're parenting your kids in a, in a way that will help them prepare for dating, um, then you could prepare them early by giving them opportunities to hang out with, with other kids of opposite sex. You can be around them, you can watch how they interact and all those kinds of things, um, and you can help them learn how to treat one another as they go through. As far as the actual dating goes, I would say that that that's up to uh, parents, but I would uh, I would say that uh, kids should start kids uh, that uh, teenagers or young adults should start dating when they are ready to start exploring who the Lord might have for them for their relation uh, for their marriage relationship.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so, going off of that and that concept, and we'll kind of start with Pastor Craig, but open it up to everyone. How should uh, a young Christian navigate? The concept of crushes and attractions when marriage is sort of far off because of their age? Uh, And what
2: role can parents play in that? I would say more responsibility lies on the parents than on the kids. Okay. Uh, so as, you're, as, you're, as your child is growing, you can help them understand, navigate how they navigate through those emotions and those feelings, because as all of us know, they start at a pretty young age, right? Uh, so the opportunity, and this is one reason I'm glad we did Song of Solomon when we did, is because it helps parents and it helps children, young people, understand uh, when those feelings occur, they can start navigating those feelings now. Uh, my prayer for my girls is that whoever they end up dating is already starting to have a good parent help them navigate through those feelings even now, even though
1: my girls aren't ready to date yet. First grade, Jessica Garonsky. Uh, I remember I'd be in class and I would just stare, and I'm like, ah, oh, she's so cute. Second grade, grade, Kristen Shea. Third grade, Marcy Marino. We don't need to hear all of them. I mean, I could go down the line, right? Let's be clear. I mean, so from the time I was, I, I'm the youngest of four boys. So, I mean, you can imagine the things that happen in my home, okay? So uh, I, I remember I was uh, eight years old and our next door neighbor, she's in her basement making out with her boyfriend. And my brothers were like 18, 15, 11, and eight. And we are all sitting in her basement window outside, just staring in. And my mom comes in and she's like, what? Are you doing? And <laughs> we're like, you got to see this. Anyways, she pulls my brothers away, and then I go back after they're all inside. I'm like, want to know what's happening. Uh, but like, the the point of all that is, from the time I was in first grade, there was an impulse in me toward girls, you know, and. That impulse is not evil or sinful or bad. Attraction is wired into the human condition. It's pretty normal. It is pretty normal. My four-year-old is obsessed with another four-year-old in our church. I mean, to the point where I, I don't know what to do with it, right? It's weird. And, and some people, that's not your experience. Don't name that child. I'm not going to name that child. But for some of you, that's a weird experience. So that's not
2: my experience. I know, so. that's not
3: your experience.
1: But uh, my, my point in that is, if you shame them for what God put in them, that is, that is this attraction, right? You have to rein it in. You have to show them that what is most valuable um, is not someone's body, um, but it is, it is their soul and their walk with Jesus. But again, it's, it's navigating those steps. So we talk to our kids about love and affection and my, the story of when I met my wife and dating. And so help me God, if you, if you bring a boy home and you have not, he has not asked permission to go on a date with you, I will punch him in the face and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Right? Dads, come on. Second Amendment? We got one guy.
3: (laughs) Our our son was four when he asked this question. He says, Mommy and Daddy, why do I like girls so much if I can't get married yet? (laughs) That's adorable. And it's like great teaching opportunity. And so I, I love what you guys said. You know, it's really on the parent to navigate during those years yep. and, and during that time and have conversations and yeah.
1: A parent came up to me and they, they were talking about their uh, junior high boy and they said, how do, I, how do I help him become like a really godly young man? And the hard reality is that no kid knows how to handle the power of attraction, the power of their sexuality. Once they start adolescence, um, we cannot hand them over to a device, put them in their bedroom and say, oh, they'll be controlled, No, it's ridiculous. They have no idea what to do. And no, like, you think about the pornographic image for a young boy, he has zero capacity to control what happens in his mind once that image is put on his brain. And so it's our job to get in front of our children from a very young age, and they get to be 13 and 14 and 15, and we say to ourselves, oh, they're getting older, they're getting more independent. I don't know about you, when I was 15, and I don't know many 15-year-olds who can handle their sexuality with self-control and clarity, right? And they need moms and dads yeah, to come and that's why you gotta them, start early. And it's good, sorry. Sermon over. No
0: problem. Uh, So, Pastor Tim, the next question is for you. There's a cultural trend of getting married later, and that presents extreme difficulty for young adults to remain sexually pure. So the question is this, at what age, milestone, or maturity level should Christian parents encourage their children to be thinking about marriage? Uh, And then the the sort of caveat is, uh, is it sooner the better or wiser to wait?
3: Biblically, most marriages were arranged um, by parents, and so children in biblical times were married usually at a younger age, except uh, on the woman's side, but on the man's side, they had to uh, build a dowry, they had to provide a means in which they were gonna support their family, and I think that is a good pattern for, I think many uh, young people get married too soon, that's why we have such an epidemic of, of young people getting married and living at, living, still living at home with mom and dad. I, I, I think that violates the, the leave and cleave principle from Genesis. Um, you should wait long enough to have some means of self-support. Uh, when you get married, you need to move out. You need to establish your own home. And it doesn't mean to sever it, uh, your relationship with your parents, but you do need to now develop a new, a new family unit. So I think there is a, a reasonable waiting time. Um, what I usually counsel people uh, who say they're, you know, hey, we're thinking about getting married, you know, I'll drill them with all kinds of questions, you know, so how are your finances? You know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they have to have a million dollars in the bank, but no one of us. Most of us don't have that now. Uh, but you have to have a, a means in which you're going to support. But also, there's, it's the maturity question. You know, how are you doing in your own spiritual walk? You know, uh, young people and, and sometimes even, you know, 30 and 40-year-olds come and say, hey, I, I'm, we're ready to get married. And their life, their spiritual life is in shambles. You know, they are struggling spiritually in their walk with Christ. And now you're going to have, you know, it's hard enough when two broken people who love Jesus come together to make a whole, a whole family or a whole, whole marriage. But when two broken people are very broken, it makes it very difficult, you know, because of, you know, the sin that we bring into the marriage. So there's, there's reasons to wait. But I, I would say, you know, that's, it depends on a, a lot of different things. I feel,
1: my, my heart just goes out to those who are in their 20s, even 30s, um, who are still single but want to be married, the ramifications of us postponing adolescence and responsibility in our children to mid-late 20s is having a devastating consequence, and the consequence now is the rampant sexual immorality in the church. And we, we, so I'll just speak for myself. In my home, I would like to raise up a son and two daughters who um, are able to live and thrive and control their bodies at a young age. I would love to have a 19 or 20 year old son or daughter who is so mature, culturally aware, prepared, that if the Lord should bring a woman or a man into their life that they can marry, that they'd be equipped. I married my wife at 20 years old. Somehow uh, she was just an amazing woman at 20 years old and was ready for that. People hear that and they think that's insane. Well, you don't know the quality of a woman my wife was at 20. And it is amazing that we have 28,
3: 9, 30, 35-year-olds who're like, "I'm still not ready to be married." Really? Well, it really comes down to they're they're still selfish, you know. And, and often, and you've, you've got to get to the point in your in your maturity level, both emotionally and spiritually, that you understand when you're getting you're you're stepping into a marriage, you're saying, "I will sacrifice my desires, my wishes, my own selfishness, for the benefit of this other person." Pastor Craig.
2: I got married because I knew I couldn't do any better. <laughs> that is the bottom line. I, uh, I had dated some girls, and then I found Beth. Actually, God led me to her, and I thought, if I get this girl, uh, th- that would be a miracle in and of itself. Because I knew me, and I knew her, and everybody else knew her, and she loved the Lord. She had a great testimony on, on campus where I met her. And uh, so the reason we got married at the age that we did was because I knew... Um, that God blessed me with this woman who loved the Lord, and I knew I couldn't do any better than this was the best I could do. I mean, this is the best. That doesn't sound right, does it? This is the better. that would ever come my way. We you know can't do any better. Yet, <laughs> that was supposed to sound romantic. It didn't uh, come it out, didn't that come way out. Way. Uh,
1: P.S. I love recording these snippets of Craig. I'm recording a blooper reel. He doesn't know I'll record yeah. our conversation sometimes. <laughs> And, uh, and he'll be like saying these ridiculous things. I'm like, you know I have this recording now. He's like, you didn't tell me you are recording. Come on. Anyways, one day, it'll be great.
0: Okay, Pastor Michael, this one is a big deal, especially as you talk about uh, dating and getting closer to marriage and engagement and those sorts of things. So uh, I've read some Christian sources uh, that suggesting that commitment is the only thing needed to mark marriage. If a couple is committed to each other, but they haven't had a ceremony, why can't they move in together? And why can't they have all the benefits? And what's so significant about the ceremony?
1: Yep. So uh, reality, if you are under 35 years old, you come and you're you're being raised up in a culture where institutions and norms of the way things were done do not mean anything to you. Uh, The typical rules that if you're 40 and above, you played by, um, that were deep embedded into your culture, they just don't apply. We're dealing with uh, moms and dads in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who do not understand why their kids don't have the same value for the institutions that guided our culture and your lives as you grew up. When you get to the institution of marriage, um, culture has so pervasively won the battle of the institution of marriage, and the Christian church has so pathetically modeled the institution of marriage and sexuality that the next generation, even of Christians, is abandoning, by and large, not in total, but by and large, the trajectory is ominous and scary, um, the institution of marriage as we understand it. And so part of that, when you grow up in a culture that does not value institutions, boundaries, and rules, um, part of that is they question everything. And so one of the, I guess, warnings would be twofold. Number one is um, for this generation to look back at all previous generations in human history and say they're bigots or they're wrong or they don't know what they were talking about, that is a level of arrogance that is second to none. And uh, I think the entire generation of younger people who are thinking about the future or they're thinking about marriage, they have to really, really, really step back their pompousness before they sweep six millennia under more under the rug of bigotry and stupidity. That's number one. Number two, um, would be, what is the question again? Yeah. So, so (laughs) that's good. (laughs) Um, what's so significant about the marriage ceremony? Because in scripture, it is covenant and consummation. Those are the two things from beginning to end. And, uh, God's people in Israel, they didn't do it perfectly, but God still modeled for them that. And, uh, so, uh, covenant is is honestly it's it's partially biblical partially cultural and every culture has an understanding of what Anax a covenant. Okay, and uh, in our culture, there is a legal and a spiritual side to that, especially for Christians, and that is a, a cultural reality. I would still say if you're not married in the eyes of the government, but you're married um, before a pastor and the people of God, and you consummate that marriage before God, that is real. But culturally, getting legally married um, is a wise move because of what it communicates in this context. Now, for me, the government has no jurisdiction over marriage. They don't get to tell me what it is and what it isn't. The government legislates marriage for taxes and a little bit of control. It used to be for the protection of society, not anymore. And so for me, if the government is going to play games with marriage, I don't, really, I don't really care. On the other hand, I do still want to be sensitive that it is a cultural reality um, that people do care whether you're legally married. So I encourage people to get legally married, but there has to be covenant and consummation. If you have covenant without consummation, this is not a marriage. Uh, The only way you can make an exception is if the person is physically unable to consummate. That would be the only exception. Okay, thank you. Uh,
0: So, Pastor Craig, this one's uh, for you. A really close friend of mine who is a believer is engaged to be married to an unbeliever. She has asked me to attend and be involved in the wedding. What is my responsibility to my friend as, number one, a fellow believer um, but also just whether or not I should even attend. Yeah, Pastor
3: Craig, what you going say? Yeah, what gonna say? We're gonna say. <laughs>
1: we already gave a and a podcast on this, so did, oh, yeah, so you have one correct answer yeah. that you're allowed to give.
3: <laughs> yeah, Michael yeah. and I have already answered Go this it. question, so what you yeah.
2: i need to listen High to five. more podcasts. Yeah, fairly.
1: Um, yeah, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna punt this back to you. <laughs> oh no, you
3: got it. Huh? <laughs> no, no, it's no. you. Nope.
1: Ch- I trust you. I have yet to hear you give an answer, that I have thoroughly disagreed with. <laughs>
2: thoroughly. Uh, you're about to get a throwdown right here. Uh, so, what what is your responsibility? Um, again, I hate to nuance this, but if if the person is blatantly like anti God, you've got an issue. I mean, it's the same it's the same thing as if if uh, if they are living.